just uh, talking to uh, uh, a lady uh, outside before, and she said, uh, and I think this is really true, what a, uh, what a, a blessing an organisation like Creation Ministries is. And um, one of the things that I think we need to realise is that back in the uh, early part of the, the 20th century, as you know, scientific discoveries were exploding, like uh, you know, the flight, the motor car, radioactivity, uh, uh, all of these sort of things, antibiotics and so on, and science got a tremendous name. And uh, the church really wasn't able to handle it and uh, a large amount of the, uh, the church really rolled over and, and uh, just gave in and decided to uh, try and fit the millions and billions of years into the, uh, the Bible. But that book that I mentioned before, The Genesis Flood, that really turned the tide because it got Christians who were scientists looking at what the evolutionists were saying and finding that there were so many holes in their claims. And that book was the catalyst for the beginning of uh, most of the various creation-type ministries throughout the world. So it's been a, uh, a fantastically uh, valuable book. And I've met so many people in creationist circles who have said, like I do, that that book was the one that uh, really turned their, their life around. So it's had a tremendous impact and I think we need to be uh, very grateful for those two guys, uh, John Whitcomb and Henry Morris, who uh, wrote that book. One a theologian and uh, one a geologist. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to uh, talk a bit more, obviously, about uh, other things here. The last uh, talk focused on the age of the Earth and uh, that's really because you get this constant repetition in the media from people like Brian Cox and David Attenborough that it's millions and billions of years old. But of course the Bible says otherwise and I'm going to uh, look at how we derive the young earth age from scripture. The Bible also tells us of course that we were a specific creation and we ate the fruit of a tree that we were commanded not to eat of and we didn't come down from the trees from some ape-like creature. So I've talk, called this talk uh, Creation and Urgent Message and it's absolutely imperative that the church worldwide wakes up to the importance of believing it. Now I know everybody here does but uh, it never hurts to be put in remembrance as the uh, word of God says about all of these things. So I'm going to consider the urgency under three headings and the first is why as Christians we should believe that uh, we're a specific creation over six days, only about 6,000 years ago. Secondly, why we can believe it, despite the constant repetition in the media about evolution. And third, why we must, so it's for, why it's so vital for our Christian life and that of our children and our grandchildren. Because it, it's very difficult to properly understand the world around us without the Genesis Foundation. It's very hard to explain a harsh, sometimes difficult world to others if we don't appreciate that's not how it uh, was meant to be. And, uh, and another little conversation beforehand. Uh, people like David Attenborough say there can't be a God because of some of the wicked things that they see in the earth. Well, that's true, but not that there can't be a God. The world is not the way it was meant to be. We live in a fallen world now where death and disease and accidents are part of life and uh, it's very easy to get into poor me, self-centred thinking and that leads to despair and children with no hope and adults with no hope 
and so on. So uh, really we, uh, we, we have every reason why we must believe the uh, Genesis account for our own self-esteem and for our own functioning in the uh, world. Bit of a crackle going on there, isn't it? Okay, so why should we believe the creation account? Well, we should because the Bible unequivocally declares it and I'm going to probably not tell you anything that you don't already know. But if we look at Genesis 5, we see how all the patriarchs from Adam down to Noah are mentioned and it gives the age of the father at the birth of his best known son and uh, the years he lived after that. And you can uh, add up all of those years and you get about 1,650 from uh, Adam to Noah and then you can read further and you see from Noah to Abraham's about 350. So all up from Adam to Abraham about 2,000. From Abraham to Jesus is about 2,000. From Jesus to us about 2,000. So that's where we get the, uh, uh, the 6,000 years from. If we have a look at uh, Luke's Gospel in the New Testament, we get uh, Jesus' genealogy and he takes him back through David and through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right back to Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. And if you have a look at the uh, sequence of patriarchs in Genesis 5 and the sequence of patriarchs in reverse in Luke chapter 3, they're exactly the same. So there is no conflict between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not at all ambiguous, they are exactly the same. And all the, uh, the main characters are mentioned by name as real people in the New Testament. First of all, we get Adam in Romans and 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, of course. In 2 Corinthians, talks about uh, Eve's deception by the serpent. Hebrews talks about uh, the murder of uh, Abel by Cain. And uh, Luke, of course, takes uh, the genealogy right back to Adam, who was the son of God. So, if the Old Testament were not historical truth, then the New Testament must be referring to a whole lot of mythical people. So, uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament are completely in agreement. The same thing goes for Noah's flood. Hebrews talks about Noah constructing the ark to save his household. And 2 Peter says how God didn't spare the ancient world but uh, preserved Noah. Now, evolutionary belief says that the, uh, the worldwide flood never happened. And uh, that's despite the uh, uh, flood um, description. A lot of Christians agree with that. And uh, the flood description o- occupies three whole chapters in the book of Genesis and Jesus uses it to illustrate his return. He says both in Luke and Matthew how just as it was in the days of Noah, they were going about their normal business until the day Noah entered the ark, the flood came, and so that's the way it's going to be when he returns. So that's really why we should believe Genesis, because the rest of the Bible clearly does agree with it. What about why we can believe it, despite the media constantly referring to evolution? And we can believe it because the evidence overwhelmingly supports it. A lot of Christians are not aware, you know, that the, the hard scientific evidence is absolutely consistent with the biblical account. We are not fighting an impossible rearguard action against this overwhelming onslaught of uh, more information coming at us showing how the Bible is wrong. Quite the reverse. 
the more the more is discovered, the more the Bible is confirmed. It's, uh, and it's the uh, long age evolutionary belief that is being uh, put to the sword, really, by the uh, the information that is uh, coming in. And uh, I've shown how geology and astronomy support a young age for the Earth. And now I'm going to have a look at uh, evolution. And of course, there is some overlap because without the millions and billions of years, you couldn't have evolution in the first place. So I'm going to look at fossils and dinosaurs as part of uh, biology. And then I'm going to have a look at anthropology. And that's going to uh, include DNA and genetics. Now I'm going to start with what we see in textbooks as the geological column. This was produced well over 100 years ago a scheme of uh, rock layers and you can see how they've largely got English names Cambrian and Devonian and things like that all of this was devised in England really before the rest of the, uh, the world was even investigated and the fossils were assigned to various layers and it was all done on the base of, uh, basis of long age evolutionary belief all of these millions of years down the, uh, the side they were not discovered by any experiment or observation. They were really just plucked out of the air. There was no evidence whatsoever for them. The geologists who drew this up believed in the long ages and evolution. The belief produced the diagram, not objective evidence. And uh, it wasn't until later that uh, radioactive so-called dating techniques came along. But it's very hard to find this order anywhere in the world of uh, supposedly primitive creatures down the bottom going up through the scale to, uh, to man at the top. It's just a textbook diagram. The reality really is massive rocky graveyards with all sorts of fossils mixed up together, land animals and reptiles and marine creatures, and you even find dinosaur fossils with birds in their stomach and dinosaurs supposedly evolved into birds, but dinosaurs and birds very obviously lived alongside each other. So, what are fossils? They're billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. And uh, it's not something that seems to be occurring much today. If you go through outback Queensland, you'll see roadkill all over the place, but it's not getting fossilised. And uh, even when livestock get drowned in uh, floods, you don't really see them getting fossilised. And a lot of the explanations just don't make any sense. This is a, uh, a series from the Australian National Dinosaur Museum in Canberra. And when you look at it, you can see immediately that there's something wrong with it. The way it goes is this. Here's our dinosaur who uh, dies and falls into the water and sinks down to the, uh, the bottom. He then gets... Uh, uh, buried over with uh, sand and sediment you can see the uh, predatory shark up there uh, then he uh, gets fully buried and becomes a fossil and uh, later on uh, as the, uh, the uh, bottom of the uh, pond gets raised up his uh, skeleton starts to appear and he gets uh, dug out but the problem is of course that uh, dead things don't sink to the bottom and get silted over. Obviously they float and they get scavenged. And uh, divers don't see dead fish or dead animals lying around on the uh, ocean bottom awaiting fossilisation. And a lot of fossils don't look like they evolved, died and got buried as the world believes. 
they look like they've been buried alive. And uh, if you have a look at this fish, it's so beautifully preserved, it obviously didn't decay and disintegrate. This jellyfish didn't melt away like they will do on a beach. It was buried rapidly. And Darwin actually made a prediction that it would be impossible for a soft-bodied creature like a jellyfish to get fossilised. But of course he was wrong about that. This is a, uh, a photo of a, a fossil ichthyosaur which is two metres long so it's a, a very big animal and it's been fossilised in the process of giving birth to a uh, baby ichthyosaur. So it actually got trapped in the, uh, the middle of labour. Uh, there are dozens of other examples of creatures obviously buried alive. This fish was caught in the act of eating another fish. Uh, fossils often show an agonising death. They, uh, they call this uh, uh, arched neck opisthotinus. It's a, uh, an animal that's uh, trapped and uh, dies often, throws its neck back like that. Here's another one where this uh, fish has just uh, swallowed another fish intact. And uh, uh, these are, there are lots of other uh, examples like this and we just don't see this sort of thing happening today. And uh, we get such beautiful preservation, a lot of it is uh, animals and fish caught in the uh, act of living, not in the act of dying and then getting fossilised. And if you think about it, one of the common fossils is called a trilobite and it's a bit like a, a very large woodlouse. Now, what does a woodlouse do when uh, danger approaches? It rolls itself up into a ball, doesn't it? Well, it's got to be alive to roll itself up into a ball. So, this trilobite obviously was alive before it got buried and fossilised because it rolled itself up into a ball. Shellfish like this uh, open up when they die. These fossil bivalves are all closed. Therefore, they must have been buried alive. They didn't die and then get buried. So, it, uh, and there's example after example like this that you could go on with. It probably really happened more like this. A little fish uh, happily swimming along and then he gets dumped on by uh, a truckload of uh, sand and silt just like what would have happened in the tidal action while uh, Noah's flood was on the face of the earth. He then gets uh, buried alive and then he becomes a fossil, just like what would happen in a catastrophic event. So, what about the dinosaurs? Where do they fit into the picture? And this is a, a question that we are commonly asked. Well, the Bible mentions two large animals that sound like dinosaurs in the, uh, the book of Job. It talks about behemoth and leviathan. And uh, Job, we believe, lived after the flood. And God says to Job, look at Behemoth. So the fact that he could say to Job, look at, means Job must have been able to look at. He must have been familiar with that uh, animal. And Job was after the flood, whereas evolution says that dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years old, uh, million years ago. But the Bible tells us that the world is only about 6,000 years old. The land animals were created on day 6. God told Noah to take two of every kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal into the ark. 
and that must have included dinosaurs according to the scripture. And all the other animals including the dinosaurs died in the flood. The surviving dinosaurs would have come out of the ark with the other animals and there should be some evidence of their existence alongside man. You would expect that if they have lived post-flood. Well, there's uh, uh, an Australian people have got very mixed ancestry and uh, uh, my paternal grandfather came from southern Sweden. That's where I get my name. He came from uh, Gothenburg in the uh, south there in southern Sweden and that's where the, uh, the Vikings come from and uh, that's where this story comes from. And uh, this guy, Beowulf, was uh, the king of a tribe called the Geats in about the 6th century AD. And uh, I could be one of his descendants, actually. He was uh, uh, renowned for his great physical strength. And, uh, <laughs> and the, uh, the poem describes how he killed an animal that is called a Grendel, and he did it with his bare hands. And this animal had been terrorising the uh, local area, and it had slain 30 armed Viking warriors in a single night. Now, there's not an animal alive today that could slay 30 armed Viking warriors in a night. So, what was it? It was called a Grendel, and the description sounds like a T-Rex. And uh, Beowulf killed the animal by tucking himself in under its uh, uh, belly and ripping off its arms. And if you think about it, T-Rex had those tiny little arms, didn't he? He had a huge body and fearsome teeth, but tiny little arms. And Beowulf ripped its arms off and, uh, and killed it uh, in that way. This is a temple at Angkor in Cambodia. And it's got a uh, carving here, which I've uh, put a uh, circle around. And if we have a close-up of that carving we see that there's an animal with bony plates along its back. And if your children have got uh, a dinosaur book, I'm sure they would identify that animal as a... a? Stegosaurus, wouldn't they? And uh, this temple is 800 years old. The uh, carving isn't a fossil skeleton, it's of a, uh, a full-blown animal. And 800 years ago, they did not have children's dinosaur picture books to copy from, and they weren't digging up fossils. So, how could they have carved that 800 years ago if they hadn't actually seen the live animal? Common sense says they must have. This is a, uh, a brass carving from a uh, cathedral in England, Carlisle Cathedral, built in 1496. Now, it's pretty obvious that these are two sauropod dinosaurs and this, uh, this, temp uh, this cathedral is over 500 years old. In fact, uh, you see the, the uh, spiky tail? That's what you see in children's picture books of, uh, of dinosaurs. They've got these spiky tails. Now, how did the people who drew that, uh, that brass carving know to draw them if they hadn't actually seen the live animal? Because 500 years ago they did not have a children's dinosaur picture book to copy from. This is uh, rock art from the state of Utah in the United States and all this rock art was done by the Native Americans and just like the Aboriginal people they drew pictures of the animals that they saw. And uh, this is actually in one of our books. Have you got the uh, book out there on the uh, uh, 
you got that one? I know they're out of stock of it in, uh, in Queensland, so if you, you've got to hang on to it, but sell it if somebody wants to buy it. <laughs> but that, uh, that picture comes out of, uh, out of that book. In the early days of settlement uh, of Victoria, the local Aboriginal people believed in a monster called a bunyip. And uh, they, they described this bunyip to the uh, Geelong advertiser uh, artist and he drew that, uh, that picture and that appeared in the Geelong Advertiser back in July 1845. Now, if you remember, Charles Darwin wrote his book in 1859. So, this is 14 years before the publication of Origin of Species. So, the world was not so heavily evolutionised then. I doubt if the advertiser would do that sort of thing now, but they did back in 1845. And I'm going to come back to the bunyip a little bit later on. If we go back to our T-Rex, and uh, you see his puny little arms here, uh, there's an American lady by the name of Mary Schweitzer, and she is a T-Rex expert. She is an evolutionist, even though she uh, claims to be a believing Christian. But T-Rex is her specialised area of research. And a couple of years ago, she found a buried T-Rex which was incompletely fossilised. And it was absolutely huge. They had to cut the uh, thigh bone in half with a chainsaw to get it into the uh, helicopter to carry it out of Montana where they found it. And uh, they dissolved the uh, calcium out of the, uh, the bone. And what they found was that inside the bone was soft tissue elastic blood vessels. They could pull the blood vessels and they sprang back into position. So they were genuine elastic blood vessels and they determined that there was collagen, an uh, animal protein, in those blood vessels. They were also able to squeeze out of the blood vessels red blood cells. Now you can see these red blood cells have got these little uh, dark nuclei in them. Reptilian red blood cells have got nuclei. Our red blood cells don't. But uh, that's confirmation that this was real blood cells from a, uh, from a, uh, a reptile. And they did uh, find that uh, there was haemoglobin in them. And this sort of thing was believed to be absolutely impossible for bones that were millions of years old because biological tissue degrades very, very rapidly. Uh, but they are frantically trying to explain how it might last those millions of years. No suggestion of the obvious that maybe it isn't millions of years old. But uh, that's, that's what uh, Mary is still working on, how she can uh, make it be that old. She made a lot of other discoveries as well. But other researchers uh, dissolved the calcium out of a uh, triceratops horn and they found bone structures in that horn. They found uh, haversion canals and debris in the blood vessels and actual bone cells that are depicted there. The sort of things that you would not expect to find in bones that were as old as that. In the same area, another guy found uh, a hadrosaur and they found intact skin. That wasn't a skin impression in rock. That was actually a piece of fossilised hadrosaur skin and uh, there he is holding it there there it is and there's a, uh, an egg with a, uh, a little hadrosaur uh, curled up in it now have a look at this hadrosaur and you see how the hadrosaur is living in a swamp now if you compare him with our Geelong bunyip 
there's not a lot of uh, difference between those two, is there? You know, and uh, this was uh, uh, described by Aborigines in the, uh, the Barwon Lakes area and our hadrosaur lived in a swamp. So it's very likely, I reckon, that our Geelong bunyip was, uh, was one of these. So all of this is real evidence. It's all confirming what the Bible says that man lived alongside dinosaurs regardless of what the media says. And uh, I don't know whether you've noticed anybody read in the past week or so uh, some other theories about what wiped out the dinosaurs. Have you seen, seen that in the uh, papers? They're, they're still suggesting that it was a, um, uh, a, a asteroid impact or something like that and then some great uh, uh, poisonous gas emanated from the, uh, the Earth and supposedly wiped out the, uh, the dinosaurs. But I've got a little bit of a problem with that explanation, apart from believing that Noah's flood is what wiped out the dinosaurs. But one of the things that we, uh, we do know... Oh, don't tell me I haven't got that photo. There we are. Yeah. We also find a lot of fossilised dinosaur eggs. And here's a picture of this guy and his, uh, his wife with all of these various sized dinosaur eggs and a lot of them are fossilised in clutches like this. You see, there's a few different examples. Now, think about it. If the scientist's story were true, that there was an asteroid impact and a poisonous gas that wiped out the dinosaurs, why wouldn't the eggs hatch? Now, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't hatch because reptile eggs don't need the parent reptile to go and hatch the eggs. They, uh, they hatch themselves. Now, sure, the baby dinosaurs might die from the uh, poisonous cloud after they were hatched, but why would we find all of these fossilised dinosaur eggs? You know, you would expect them to hatch and then die rather than be uh, unhatched like they are now. So, uh, I, I think all of this is consistent with them being buried in the flood and, of course, that's why they, uh, they didn't hatch. They were buried in uh, mud and, uh, and sediment. Okay, well, let's uh, have a look at anthropology. I, uh, I think anthropology is, uh, is fascinating and it definitely vindicates the Bible, but more importantly than that, it shows how disastrous has been the fruit of evolutionary belief. Now, just the fact that evolution bears bad fruit doesn't prove it wrong but you'd certainly want to hope that, uh, that it wasn't true because the fruit that evolutionary belief has borne has been very bad indeed. The Bible says, The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth, and from these the whole earth was populated. And when Paul talks to the Greeks in Athens, he takes them back to creation and he said, God who made the world and everything in it has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So, according to the Bible, Noah's flood was only about 4,350 years ago. We are all of the one race. We are all descended from the uh, inhabitants of the ark. We are all very closely related. Now, Darwin did not believe that. He and his early followers believed that all the various ethnic groups and races had evolved separately and in fact that was a belief that really gave racism 
a kick along and uh, a uh, guy called Stephen Jay Gould who's dead now but he was a well-known evolutionist he said biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1850 but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory so once Darwin's book got published that was what really got uh, racism going even though it had obviously been present before that but that produced terrible uh, genocide in uh, places uh, in Africa, particularly in Namibia. It produced terrible genocide in Australia. And it was one of the main reasons why the Aboriginal people were treated like animals, because after Darwin's book was published, they were regarded as less evolved. And many of them were murdered for science, there were even orders given out to go and get a hundred Aboriginal heads and things like that, you know, terrible things that meant that the Aboriginal people were hunted down and shot because they were regarded as less evolved. And their bones and their body parts were shipped over to European museums because they were uh, regarded as some sort of missing link. And the Aboriginal people have been trying without much success to get those uh, uh, body parts back from European museums. But even when they do get them back from museums, it's accompanied by politically correct lies and disinformation. Now, I've been mostly doing locums for the last 10 years at Coolum Beach on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And I was up there in, uh, uh, this is September 2013, and this was in the, uh, the local paper, the Sunshine Coast Daily. And this is a guy called Bob Weatherall, who's an Aboriginal uh, uh, activist who's been trying to get the body parts out of the Australian museums. And he succeeded in getting the Queensland Museum to give up its Aboriginal artefacts. But you want to have a look at what the, uh, the museum director said, a lady called Suzanne Miller. She said... Ancestral remains had ended up at museums as a result of agriculture or development. In other words, a, uh, a farmer ploughing his field has dug up a few bones or developers have gone in with their uh, bulldozers to excavate for a, a building and they've dug up Aboriginal bones. Now, that's not how those bones got into the museums. They were there because they were hunted down and shot for body parts. And yet, here she is sanitising the, uh, the history by saying that agriculture and development is what's, uh, what's got those artefacts into the museums. Darwinism was the, uh, the motivation behind the stolen generation and we're still uh, paying the price for that in Australia now. The government policy of removing part descent, this is part white children, was based on widely held beliefs that uh, the, they were racially superior to other Aboriginal people. And this sort of separate evolution uh, of various ethnic groups was b uh, believed even as, as late as the 1960s and it probably still is. I think uh, some of the examples we've seen in the sporting world are, uh, that belief is still lingering on. This sort of uh, uh, picture appeared even as late as the uh, mid-1960s in Time Life books where we've supposedly all evolved separately through these uh, different ape-like ancestors. Now, there is no evidence for any of that 
that is just all speculation. doesn't have any genuine evidence underlying it at all. No missing link has ever been found because there isn't any missing link. There is no link. It's all the fruit of evolutionary belief has been disastrous. But let's go back to the Bible. Uh, the Tower of Babel was five generations after the flood, according to Scripture, and everybody spoke the same language until that time, until the Lord came down and confused the languages of people. So it wouldn't surprise you to know that cultures from all over the world have got legends about Noah's flood and the Tower of Babel because all of our ancestors were in the ark and we were all dispersed at Babel. And there's some fascinating confirmation of it. If we have a look at uh, constellations, these two, Pleiades and Orion, are both mentioned in the Bible, they're both mentioned in the book of Job and they're both mentioned in the book of Amos. Uh, another constellation called the Great Bear is also mentioned in the, uh, the book of Job. And uh, it's interesting that uh, totally separate cultures right throughout the world give similar names to these constellations. An Aboriginal name for Pleiades is the Seven Sisters, but most other cultures throughout the world call that group of stars Seven Something. And yet, when you look at it, it doesn't immediately strike you that it's seven anything. Most cultures call that uh, the hunter or the archer. And yet, when you look at it, it doesn't immediately strike you that it's a hunter or an archer. And those ones called the great bear or the dog, they don't particularly look like a bear or a dog. But different cultures that have no known connection and languages with no known co uh, connection give very similar names to these constellations. Now, how is that? Now, evolution would only be able to say that that is a, um, uh, probably a, a coincidence. And yet, if we look at the Bible and if we see that everybody before Babel spoke the same language, then it's pretty reasonable to assume that the names were given before the dispersion at Babel. So they got the names of the constellations in the original language when everybody spoke the same and when they got dispersed into different languages they continued those names on in the new language. Now, that's a fantastic uh, confirmation of what the scripture tells us. Otherwise you would have to call it an amazing coincidence, wouldn't you? So, so really, again, the Bible is demonstrated to be reliable and accurate in what it says. Let's have a look at uh, DNA. Uh, DNA, uh, the structure of DNA was worked out in the uh, 1950s by Watson and Crick and it's a chemical compound, it's a bit like a twisted ladder and the rungs of the ladder are what we call nucleotide bases and uh, there are four of them, there they are, and we give them their first letter just for simplicity. Uh, but DNA is a biological code or program. Uh, it uses only four letters, but it's a far more sophisticated program than anything that man 
has ever written. It's far more sophisticated than any of our computer programs even now. In fact, it's got code upon code upon code and uh, it's very difficult for a uh, computer programmer to, to write a program that is more than one level. As soon as you try and put a superimposed code on it, that, that they won't both work at the, uh, the same time, but DNA does. It's actually biological software. It's the software that runs the hardware of our cells and our bodies. And if we have a look at uh, this, we see that here's a cell, here's the nucleus of the cell, and we've got 23 pairs of chromosomes in that nucleus. And if we have a look at one of those pairs, chromosomes are made of DNA. And if we unravel this chromosome, we get this great long string of DNA, a bit like unraveling a, a skein of wool. And a, a segment of DNA is called a gene. And the totality of it is called our genome. And... Uh, uh, the number of bases or letters in each strand of DNA uh, in all of your chromosomal DNA is about uh, 3 billion. So about 6 billion in total, all arranged in a wonderful sequence so that uh, that is the program to build your body when you're, uh, you're first conceived. So it's about 6 billion bits of information. If I want to uh, open up uh, my Telstra account page and see how much data that I've used for the, uh, the month, this is the program that opens it up. Now, I don't have to type that every time, but that is the program. And that's only got 112 letters compared with your 6 billion. And I can promise you that that program did not write itself by trial and error. It had an intelligent programmer behind it. And if I tried to mutate it, by randomly changing a letter or two here and there, do you think I'm going to make that program run any better? <laughs> I don't think I will. And, and that's what mutations are. You know, they, uh, they are changes in our DNA, but they are almost invariably harmful. They, they're damaging. Uh, mutations wreck things. Changes to that program will wreck the program. It doesn't make the program run any better. You can't improve a properly functioning program by randomly changing the symbols by trial and error. So it's just inconceivable that a highly intelligent uh, program like DNA could have arisen by chance without an intelligent designer. And how the first cell might have ever arisen is still a complete mystery. Uh, this guy, Paul Davies, who's an evolutionist, but he admitted that, he said, nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organised themselves into the first living cell. How did stupid atoms spontaneously write their own software? Now, he's an evolutionist, but at least he was honest enough to admit it. So, that's briefly why we can believe uh, Genesis. I said, we're not fighting a rearguard action. The evidence as it comes in overwhelmingly supports the, uh, the Bible. Uh, but when you boil it all down, there really is only one crucial piece of history in the whole Bible and that's the history of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Beside that, all other history pales into insignificance, even the book of Genesis. But the problem is when the early chapters of Genesis are dismissed as myth and legend, 
it casts doubt over the other parts, including the story of Jesus and his resurrection. And that's why at Creation Ministries we want to get the information out that what the Bible says about our beginnings is true history. And that's really the only reason why we, uh, we look at the scientific evidence, to underline the reliability of those chapters, to emphasise to Christian people that the Bible is true and that we really need to regard it as our authority for living. But there's another aspect too, and that is that the Gospel absolutely demands that the Genesis creation account is true. If you think about it, According to evolutionary belief, death and suffering has always been around. It's an integral part of life and we are the end result of it. But according to the Bible, death is an intruder into an originally perfect world and it's only come about as a result of Adam's sin. And that's what Paul says in Romans and in Corinthians. He says, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul's theology is completely conditional on that and that explains why Jesus had to die. If we didn't become slaves of the devil through Adam's sin, we can't be redeemed from that enslavement through Jesus. He's the second Adam. We inherited our condemnation from the first. We get our justification via the second. And we got our unrighteousness from the first and we get the righteousness of the second Adam imputed to us when we accept his saving work on our behalf. And that is the only way that you can make sense too of the Bible's final restoration. Why would the wolf be uh, lying down with the lamb and the lion eating straw like the ox if that's not how it was in the beginning? The gospel of our redemption and our salvation only makes sense if it's founded on Genesis being true history. And that's why, you know, that's why the atheists attack it. And it amazes me that atheists can often see the issue more clearly than Christian people can. This is what Richard Dawkins has said. He said, The original sin is supposed to have been committed by Adam, who, as we now know, never existed. So we now have the preposterous idea that Jesus was sacrificed for the sin of a non-existent forebear. And this guy says it even more. This is a fellow called Frank Zindler. He said this in a debate with a Christian. He said, The most devastating thing that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve never were real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. He said, If there never was an Adam and an Eve, never an original sin. No original sin, no need of salvation. No need of salvation, no need of a saviour. So he says that puts Jesus into the ranks of the unemployed. He said, I think that evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. And like it or not, you can't fault his logic. He's absolutely right. If the Adam and Eve story is a fairy tale, then the gospel message evaporates. You can't explain who Jesus was, why he is so important, and why there is no hope for anybody without him. But the interesting thing is that the existence of a historical Adam and Eve is very consistent with the hard scientific evidence. There is a lady that even the secular world refers to as mitochondrial Eve and she's been known about for a long time. And uh, this caption here says, 7 billion people from one woman. 
and it's been established that we can all trace our mitochondrial DNA back to one woman. And it's a bit like this. If you think of a, uh, uh, an egg cell getting fertilised, half the nuclear DNA, 23 single chromosomes, come from mum, half 23 singles come from dad, and when that nucleus divides, we get half our nuclear DNA from mum and half from dad. But when the mitochondria divide, they only come from the cytoplasm of the egg cell, they only come from mother. And it's been demonstrated that we all have got our mitochondrial DNA tracing back to one woman. And there's another interesting thing too. There's another guy who's been referred to as Y-chromosome Adam. And Y-chromosomes are the things that make men men. We've all got a Y-chromosome. And there was an article on Fox News uh, about two years ago and uh, the researchers had examined the Y-chromosomes of seven different ethnic groups of men from the Kalahari Bushmen on the one hand to uh, Canadian Eskimos on the other. And what they discovered was that they could trace the Y chromosome all the way back from all of those different ethnic groups back to one man, who they called, for obvious reasons, Y chromosome Adam. Now, they didn't believe they were the biblical Adam and Eve, but that's another story. This is the, uh, this is the article, of, or this is an excerpt from that article. I'll put it up to show you the difference. It's a good example of the difference between experimental science and historical science. You've got to learn to differentiate between what the researchers actually found and their interpretation of those findings, which is a completely different thing. This is what the article said. It said, these primeval people aren't parallel to the biblical Adam and Eve. Well, that is nothing more than the opinion of the, uh, the science writer. They weren't the first modern humans on the planet. Well, that's just his opinion. They didn't discover that. Just the two out of thousands of people alive at the time, they didn't discover that either. Just the two with unbroken male or female lineages that continue on today. And isn't that just a fantastic confirmation that we can all trace our mitochondrial DNA back to one woman and all men can trace their Y chromosome back to one man. And remember, Adam said to Eve, you're going to be, when he called her name Eve, he said, you are going to be the mother of all living. What do we find? There's one woman who is the mother of all living. What a fantastic confirmation that is. And it gets even better, because Noah was only ten generations after Adam, and all of his sons would have had, well... Noah would have had pretty much the same Y chromosome as Adam. Ten generations, he might have picked up a couple of mutations on the way, but by and large he would have had the, uh, the, the same Y chromosome. All his boys got exactly the same Y chromosome from their father. So it all fits that you can trace the Y chromosome back to one man. But when the researchers have a very, very close look at mitochondrial DNA, they find that although it will go back to one woman, there are three very slightly different strands of mitochondrial DNA. 
all consistent with the three reproducing women who were in the ark, the wives of, uh, of Noah's boys. Now, evolutionary supposed ancestry would expect none of that co- uh, consistency. It could only explain it as coincidence. So, that, I believe, is why we must believe the Genesis account, why we claim it is such an important issue. We don't say people aren't saved if they don't, be- don't believe it. You're not saved by having perfect, pure doctrine. But we do say that you will be a less effective Christian because we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ and to live our lives for him. Because there's a lost and dying world out there that's been convinced that the Bible isn't true and Christians need to know that it is. They need to understand why the world is in the parlous state it is, that it was once perfect, it was corrupted by sin and it's going to be restored when Jesus returns. And that is the only way that we can make sense of uh, wickedness and violence and immorality and injustice in the presence of a holy and loving God. Our children and our grandchildren are under a terrible attack. Uh, we are too, but they're, they're the more vulnerable. Uh, they have a very ruthless and cunning enemy and if they're believers they are going to have scorn and ridicule poured on them in the classroom, at the university and in the workplace. And they really do need the protection of our materials. So uh, I would really encourage you to have a look at the uh, books and DVDs afterwards. Even think about, if you're not already a magazine subscriber becoming one, think about them as gifts for your children and grandchildren with uh, Christmas coming up because they will be so blessed by it. Don't forget our, our emails and our website in particular. It will really be a great encouragement to your faith. When you and your families are convinced that the scientific evidence confirms creation as historic truth, you're going to be much better able to withstand any attack yourselves. So uh, I'm going to uh, conclude there. I'll uh, put it open now for uh, questions at the, uh, the end and uh, we'll see if there's anything... Oh, yeah. Uh, if you would like to uh, subscribe to the magazine, fill out one of the uh, forms that uh, Ken's got and uh, if you take out a subscription uh, today, there is a gift that we will uh, give you at the end. So, uh, just uh, as you're asking questions, uh, they'll hand around some of those forms. Uh, be free, but uh, if you would like to fill in the, uh, the form, I haven't got a slide of it, Ken, otherwise I'd, I'd put it up. But uh, uh, you, as well as the uh, hard copy, you can take out a digital version as well. And you can get that on five different gadgets, on iPhones and iPads and laptops and so on. So it's a great present for your grandchildren who live on their iPhones to uh, give them a, uh, a digital magazine subscription. So anybody got any uh, questions on uh, those things that I've been uh, talking about in that uh, section? Yep. <laughs> Somebody else has too. Okay. I'll come over here so I can hear it. I, I thought you said. No, I've got a question. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> if um, that crackling was your question, yes. Wasn't it? Yeah. Just to get your attention, um, have they found? Well, we know that humans existed with the dinosaurs but according to evolution there's what millions or billions of yeah. years apart yeah. have they found any 
fossil records or evidence to show dinosaurs um, fossilized you mean together with human fossils human along with dinosaur fossils. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, far as I know. No, and I mean, it's a very good question, isn't it? It would be fantastic if we, if, if we could find some. But when you think about it, um, fossilisation is not a common event, even though a lot happened in the flood, but most of the humans, one would presume, might have drowned eventually. They'd have got to higher ground and eventually drowned. And uh, most of the bodies really would have been scavenged. Um, even with the, uh, the Boxing Day tsunami, I think you know, there were more than 40,000 people were never accounted for, you know, ne- never found. So if they're swept out to sea, uh, they get scavenged. And I think that's really the, uh, the main reason why we don't find them. But I, I agree that it would be a fantastic find if we, uh, if we could get one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's the book Dire Dragons. Which uh, have you got that on the uh, the tables out there? I know, I know they're out of stock of it. They've got the other one on fossils, but the the, the Dire Dragons, the one by Vance Nelson. Yeah, oh, yeah. I know it's very very convincing. Hmm. Here we are. We don't say that Christians who don't believe in the uh, biblical account are not Christians. Yep. But it's not a good policy, is it, to disagree with Jesus? I, I wouldn't um, have thought so, no. He, he, he actually um, quoted from Genesis, as he did from other um, yep. Old Testament books. And in Matthew he says that he made them at the beginning, as he made them at That's the beginning... Right. So he reaffirms that account that he made Adam and Eve at the beginning. And he proved his deity by predicting his death and resurrection in front of numerous eyewitnesses. So I don't know, I I really, I find I struggle with this whole concept because it's almost like in the interest of being nice and, you know, um, peaceful and good Christians, I think we're a little bit docile and a little bit lax with that. Because I, 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 uh, I think we need to get a little bit more yeah. aggressive about it and say, well, hang on, so if you're a follower of Christ and you believe in Christ in the face of this kind of evidence, but most of all, you know, in the face of the fact that Jesus Christ, who you claim to follow, yeah. you have this massive disagreement with. That, that's right. I think that needs to be justified. <laughs> I, I, I do too. And there are many... Uh, Declared evangelical theological colleges that don't uh, don't believe it. Now, surely they believe, as I'm sure you do and I do, that uh, the day is going to come when you stand before the Lord Jesus, and you're going to have to give an account for uh, what you did believe and what you did on earth. And uh, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and uh, and not do the uh, things that I say? So, yeah, I reckon they're uh, they're pretty brave. Yeah, or foolhardy. Right. You're right, I've got an Old Testament professor who's one of them. Yeah, and I, I reckon if there's uh, such a thing as a, um, a spiritual horse whipping, they're going to get it. <laughs> Thank you. So. Is, is there any material that creation ministries produces that would be helpful for churches for their use, the ones who are being attacked? 
evolutionary dogma. Well, all the material that uh, we've got on the... Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing, of course, is uh, they should ask for a creationist speaker to come along. That's, that's, uh, that's what we find is the, uh, the best way of getting the message out. And let's face it, most evangelism is done one-on-one, isn't it? You know, it's uh, you being uh, talking to the person next to you in the, the, the workplace. And uh, so if we can get Christian people believing it, we know that that will uh, disseminate throughout the uh, society. You've got to start somewhere. Mm. Hang on, one. Yeah, What I want to know is, where do these Christians, who they believe in uh, evolution side of Genesis, what are they basing it on? Yeah. The question is, what are Christians who believe in evolution basing it on? What, what I think they are doing, and this is my personal view, is that um, they have departed from uh, the Reformation tradition. You see, the, uh, the, the Reformation put the scripture above all. You know, that was the final authority. Whereas they would seem to be putting the science textbook as the final authority above the scripture. That's the only way, because you can't get uh, evolution out of the Bible. Okay. And how long it was morning and evening? When they read it was morning and evening, how long was that? Well, we, we would believe that uh, that was a 24-hour day. Yeah. Now... Why would I uh, say that? Because when God created the earth, which he did before the sun, moon and stars, presumably he put the spin to it. And presumably that spin was the same speed as it is now. And it goes right around once in 24 hours. Now, a day doesn't need the presence of the sun to be that 24 hour period, it's completely independent of the sun. A year not so, a year is 365 and a quarter turns as it goes around the sun. But a day is independent on the sun. The light that was produced, uh, I believe, was the light of God because uh, we we know that because uh, A, the Bible says God is light and B, in the, uh, the new Jerusalem it has no need of sun or moon to shine the, uh, God himself is its light so the, you know everything to me is consistent with that I think it's very important that we believe in the Genesis report because uh, first of all Jesus did and uh, if Jesus did we must yes the next thing is this year if we don't believe it, we are halfway scriptural. We believe only that Jesus died, but we don't believe the part in Genesis. And if we don't believe Genesis, we can as well throw out the whole Bible. Mm. And we can't afford it. We have the whole Bible, the Word of God, and it's important. So for Christians who were not interested in... in um, creation ministry I would say it's a high alarm for them to get interested because Jesus believed it we must believe it if Jesus wouldn't have believed we should reject it and why are many not believing it because some perhaps still sympathizing with evolution 
because, and that's why we have the gap theory, you know. Hmm. It's uh, something uh, but the science says this. No, science doesn't say that. Hmm. A certain person says this. And that's important. You must solely be upon the Bible. Thank you very much. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, this is a bit of a humorous uh, thing I'm going to put to you. But um, I stumbled across this today. And uh, in the increase of knowledge and so-called science, uh, is it um, Stephen Hawking? Uh, this was just today I read this, and I just brought it up now. But um, he's, of all that he can explain and tries to explain, he says there's one thing he can't explain. He says, the, the headline says that the greatest mystery is the woman. Maybe you could answer that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm right for that. Uh, in, in a sense, you know, uh, I don't know whether this is what um, Stephen Hawking is uh, referring to, but uh, sexual reproduction doesn't make any sense on an evolutionary basis. You see, it, it's not, not efficient, is it? You know, um, uh, the, uh, the organisms that, uh, r- r- you know, reproduce, uh, what is it, uh, hermaphroditism or wh- whatever, you know, that's much more efficient. They don't need uh, anything else to cooperate with them. So there, there would be uh, no reason why what we have now of two sexes would evolve. It doesn't make sense. So maybe that's what Stephen's talking about. I don't no, know. No, no, I, I actually interpreted Melissa as the fact. Uh, I'm not sure, but I just interpreted more so that he, um, what he's talking about. He, well, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 can't explain them at all. But <laughs> he's not the only man, I'm sure. <laughs> I also had a question. Um, there was oftentimes when I'm talking with people who aren't believers or who struggle with the whole concept of young earth is that mostly I find their criteria or their level of proof is insufficient in that it's too restrictive. And so when you offer an evidence or a, a claim which is to support your own, they'll say, oh, no, I can't believe that because of you know, X or Y. Mm. Um, so, for example, if I say something, well, this, the scripture says this, they'll say, oh, well, that was written by men, right? as if to say that therefore that um, makes it incredible. Um, and, and certain other things as well, like you know historical records, because it's not perceived by many people to be acceptable or worthy. Um, therefore, we have to be dismissive of it. Um, I think that's sort of revealed as well with the higher criticism or textual criticism of the Bible. Um, do you have something to say about that in terms of how we can get people to change their mm. sort of criteria of proof, not to say that it's too accepting, but mm. to say it sort of matches reality? Yeah. I think, I think the only real answer is um, uh, the weight of evidence. You know, I, I can't give you any other apart from, I think, the, uh, if you look at it from a, um, uh, a fair and reasonable point of view, the, the weight of evidence would be much more on the side of creation. Uh, in any court of law, you're going to have... Um, uh, uh, the, the prosecution and you're going to have the defence. Now, uh, the, the prosecution says that uh, this and that happened and so-and-so is guilty, whereas the, the defence says this and that happened but so-and-so is not guilty. You know, so uh, the evidence is the same, 
but the, uh, uh, the thrust of each side is different and then the uh, impartial judge up the uh, front has to weigh up which side has got the weight of evidence on it and uh, all I can say is I believe that uh, we have the weight of evidence on our side and if you can get people to look at the evidence dispassionately, uh, okay. But don't ever forget that it's a spiritual problem. You see, uh, Satan has blinded their eyes and they just can't see it. Um, because really, in our hearts, you know, we don't want to see it. Right? The human heart is desperately wicked and uh, the human heart is arraigned against God and does not want to see it. Right? I, um, I have a lot of correspondence with uh, some of my old atheist mates and I just keep putting this stuff forward but they really don't want to know mm. yeah. uh, sorry I've got a question I'm just interested if you could um, tell me how to respond when uh, you're speaking to someone and um, you say, well, Jesus himself supported creation and Adam and Eve. Mm. And they then turn and say very condescendingly, yes, but he wasn't an educated man. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm Christian. Not, I think you could perhaps say that um, Steve, Steve Hawking is an educated man but how many people has he raised from the dead? How many, uh, how many withered arms has he uh, healed? How many uh, paralytics has he uh, raised up? You know, um, education isn't the key. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, even at age 12, he was confounding the most learned uh, scholars of his day. Mm. Yep. For what it's worth, I think it's also important to remember it, it is a spiritual problem and people just can't see it, you say, because Satan has blinded men's minds. But there are other scriptures that also show and clearly state that God has revealed and made it plain to men and men are without excuse. Mm. So I think it's fair to remember that it's also, I think, a problem of the will that men will not believe. No, that's and that that's what happens. You described it yourself, the process, and I went through it. You know, you, you look at the... Um, you just tend to go with what you're taught as you grow up and you see these things. But I remember that thinking, rejecting certain, um, um, you know, the, the textbooks and, and the little books you'd see in school as you're going through and you'd look at the little diagrams, you know, uh, the cartoonist impressions of monkey to man and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I never believed it. Yeah. I didn't know who Jesus was. But you didn't know I didn't know that. who God was and I didn't yeah. accept any man's view of it. But I think that I think it comes down ultimately that we will not believe, and that's the real problem. Well, that, that, that's right, and and also um, we do not want to um, we do want not want to obey God's moral code. Psalm two says, "Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing?" You know, uh, we we say, uh, "Let us cast his cords away from us." You know, uh, but we, we want to get rid of the restraint and the shackles that the uh, moral code of God uh, puts on us. I think this is also why science is going to such a place in the minds of people because the problem you, you also say is that we don't want to obey God in the moral code. So this is a kind of nice little story that we can really help us. Mm. Okay. But it's, it's, 
very interesting that when you actually look at natural empiricism and what its philosophical basis is, it actually denies by definition the existence of the supernatural mm. or anything abstract, and yet it employs the very same thing in its arguments yeah. in order to put its case. Yes. For example, the laws of logic. How can science explain the existence of the laws of logic? Yeah, they can't. They exploit them and consider themselves to be the bastions of rationality. Yeah. Ultimately, science is an important activity, but it doesn't explain it. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're just random chemicals, uh, how do you explain any thought and logic? You can't. Mm. Not the opposite of truth. Yeah. Now, well, here we go. I'm not sure. <laughs> The, the, the curliest ones come from over here. I'm <laughs> not sure if um, you'll be able to answer this, and not because I don't think you're intelligent, but because it's left to centre. And that is that um, there's a bit of a debate, partly because of people's philosophical worldviews and the rationale behind that. Um, is mathematics discovered or was it created? In a sense, it's sort of created. Um, because there's people who'll say that you know, we developed the binary code. Um, whereas I would say, well, we discovered it in the 60s, mm. um, and certain other things as well. So, are you able to comment on that? Uh, the, un- the only comment I, I can make, and I'm, uh, I'm not a mathematician, but I know that there are all sorts of uh, cosmological constants that uh, really uh, are mathematical, and, and they are just so consistent, and we don't really understand why they would be if uh, things were just a, uh, happening, but they are. You know, I, I can't answer it any other than that. Mm. But the whole, whole universe is about totally set. That's right, yeah. It's like, a, like the law of aerodynamics. Yeah. You know, it's always been there, but man knew how to, how they discovered how to overcome the law of gravity. Yeah, well, DNA has always been there, hasn't it? But, uh, you know, uh, man in the beginning thought he just saw this cell with a little dot in the middle of it and thought it was nothing, you know? In the beginning, God created. That, 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 that is, yeah. Oh, that's the one, yeah, yeah. The, the, this is all wrapped up, of course, Ken, but that, that's, that's the, uh, uh, the book called Dire Dragons. It's a beautiful coffee table book. The, uh, the guy in it has uh, uh, looked into evidence from all over the world of the existence of dinosaurs uh, living alongside men. Uh, in that book is that little uh, uh, drawing I showed you of the uh, North American Indians too, of the uh, the, the dinosaur. But uh, it's very, very convincing. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, th- th- this one's wrapped up in uh, cellophane. But yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. No, you have a stack. You'll be right. <laughs> put your put your hand up, but you'll be right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but it, it needs to go out, back out onto the table. Werner is going to buy one. Okay, <laughs> make sure you save one for him. All right, we have a last final question here or oh, comment. Comment. 
just just uh, referring to the point of the binary code, it in reality there's only one of an infinite possible set of number systems, like any base number system. So it's it, it's not really like um, special in that regard. Mm. It's just a way of describing yeah. and thinking of units of information. Yeah. Yeah. So underlying all of that, there's there's obviously a, a profound logic and uh, to a, creator, and, and you know, because we have designer. an intelligent creator, yeah. but we can describe exactly the same phenomena and come to exactly the same results and descriptions of physical phenomena using base 16 or base 132, if mm. we want. Yeah. All right. Last chance for last question. All good. All right. Good. That, that'll, thank you. that'll do, James. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Would you like to share your word? Um, okay. All right, so I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Anderson for your time. Thank you. And um, yeah, I do recommend you get the uh, magazine. I've been blessed by it. Um, it's excellent information. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so we conclude. Let's, uh, Pastor, when you want to close and pray. Okay, praise the Lord. I think in a meeting like this, it's very important that we engage our mind too. Yes, God has given us a mind, and it's important. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ministry. We thank you also, Lord, that you made these things so clear that everybody can understand it, Lord. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the greatest revelation we have that you came into this earth in order to give us eternal life. We thank you for your whole book, the Bible, from the beginning to the end. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much, Dr. Anderson. Thank you very much. God bless you.